Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, folks. The latest episode of the Tennis Podcast is coming right up, but there is a bit of news in the tennis world that dropped moments after we finished recording and therefore isn't covered in the main podcast but just wanted to make sure we brought it to you it is that the ATP has received an independent safeguarding report and that an investigation into the allegations against Alexander Zverev has been announced this is the press release that we have received this Monday morning an independent safeguarding report commissioned by the ATP earlier in the season has been completed it represents a key element of the ATP's overall safeguarding review to ensure all adults and minors involved in professional tennis are safe and protected from abuse. Compiled by a team of experts led by Chris Smart, former Detective Chief Inspector in the Metropolitan Police in the UK, the report outlines a number of wide-ranging recommendations to ensure safeguarding is embedded across all aspects of ATP organisational activity. Topics covered include prevention, reporting and investigation of abuse, disciplinary measures, policy statements, event safety, training, information sharing, collaboration with other bodies of tennis and the appointment of dedicated safeguarding leads. The ATP will now evaluate the recommendations to identify immediate next steps and develop a longer term safeguarding strategy relating to all matters of abuse, including domestic violence. Massimo Calvelli, the ATP CEO, said the following. As an organisation, we recognise the need to be doing more to ensure everyone involved in professional tennis feels safe and protected. The recommendations of the safeguarding report will help us approach this in a robust way. We are committed to making meaningful steps forward and know this won't be an overnight process. The statement goes on to say, um, in parallel, an internal investigation into allegations concerning Alexander Zverev at the ATP Masters 1000 event in Shanghai in 2019 is currently underway. The ATP fully condemns any form of violence or abuse and investigates such allegations related to conduct at an ATP member tournament, Calvelli said. The allegations raised against Alexander Zverev are serious and we have a responsibility to address them. We hope our investigation will allow us to establish the facts and determine appropriate follow-up action. We understand Zverev welcomes our investigation and acknowledge that he has denied all allegations. We will also be monitoring any further legal developments following the preliminary injunction obtained by Zverev in the German courts. So... 
that is where we're at with that at the moment. We'll be back with another tennis podcast this week on Thursday when, of course, Matt, David and myself will discuss that news that has just dropped. But it is not covered in the upcoming tennis podcast, which you can now sit back and hopefully enjoy. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Reed. This is Veer. And this is Gaurav from sunny Singapore. And you're listening to... The, the Tennis, Tennis Podcast. Podcast. Well, thank you to lovely Gaurav and lovely kids of Gaurav for that wonderful sunny intro. Uh, a sunny intro, I think, is exactly what we needed today because uh, it's been a somewhat grim weekend here in not-so-sunny UK. Actually, as I say, that sun is streaming in through my window, but my goodness me, Saturday was a warning shot across the bowels of uh, the bleak, bleak winter that is to come. Uh, And I spent it watching tennis in San Diego, where it looks thoroughly lovely. Uh, So no FOMO, no FOMO whatsoever, David, none at all, none. How has it taken this long for San Diego to get a tournament at this time of year and for everybody to realise, oh, that's a good idea, (laughs) let's all go there? Yeah, it looks blooming nice, doesn't it? Really nice. I mean, I know, you know, they, they knocked this, this tournament together in a matter of weeks, didn't they? I think it was a temporary temporary stand. And, you know, obviously, if it did become a permanent fixture on the on the calendar, certain elements would change. They'd probably have, you know, bigger facilities and all of that. But it seems like the bare bones of what you need for a tennis event. And by that, I mean players and sunshine. And uh, crowd. It, and crowd. It feels like they've they've got all those things. Yeah, and Danny Valverde, I saw, was the managing director of the event. And it it just immediately had a an established tournament feel about it, mm. as though it had got a, a community behind it already. And, and look, I don't know about the staging of it. I just know that when I turned it on, it just made the heart sing. Mm. It's quite interesting, this elongation of tennis in America that's happening this year. Normally, the US Open... Is sort of the end of that swing and then we're into the Asian season and here in the UK that means tennis happening in the morning rather than in the evening and at night it's just a different pace but yeah the those tournaments in Chicago and San Diego pretty cool to see them so well attended and well supported yeah there's there's big markets over there tennis at night suits me far better than tennis in the morning so maybe this is just one good unintended consequence of a <laughs> pandemic for for me personally anyway and my and my sleep patterns um i've been to san diego have you mm. when did you go there a few years ago after doing it was i'd uh, i'd been in toronto covering that tournament and went on to san diego afterwards with a with a friend that works for the atp marvelous we had a little little holiday I drove through it that, once. That was that was the tournament when the, the sorry David the Rio Olympics started, and uh, I discovered that uh, on the west coast of the United States they don't get things live. Yes. Oh yes, I remember. Mm. I remember you being quite. quite I did upset a bar, by this. bar crawl in search of somewhere that was showing uh, the opening ceremony live. And everybody sort of confusedly looked at me and said, oh, it doesn't start for three hours. And I'm like, no, 
Lots no, of it's, it's happening right now. Face. We're all missing it. And it's like they're all living in the past or the future or some sort of suspended times. Very, very strange. Anyway, other than that, lovely place. Did you see dolphins? No. No. Well, I only say that because, spoiler, Casper Ruud got his title in San Diego and he was presented with a with a dolphin trophy. Big fan of animal themed trophies in general. Indeed. So this sounds this sounds good. Mm, it would seem it would seem they're a hit in San Diego, dolphins. I did I did go um surfing in San Diego, only to discover that the beach where I went surfing there'd been a shark attack the week before. Um but I d I didn't discover till afterwards. Lots of people were merrily surfing, so were you any good? <laughs> um, I had the biggest board in town to help me be good. Right. Um, yeah. I had a go no, at surfing no, in broadly, Cornwall once. Broadly not very good, no. But when, when I did my journalism course in 1997, I went a few days early and ended up having a go at surfing in a deserted uh, sea that was freezing cold. And uh, I realised it's a bit harder than I thought. <laughs> Yes, yeah, blooming hard surfing. That is that is the beauty and the horror of it. Um, so should we start off by talking about San Diego then, seeing as I, I very definitely steered us in that direction. And I've not been to Chicago, Sofia or Astana. Um, so let's let's start with what we know and uh, and move it on from there. Casper Ruud was the champion in San Diego. He beat Cameron Norrie six love six two in the final that I stayed up to watch, well, at least the early stages of last night. I I fell asleep probably a few games in. The games that I'd seen, Cameron Norrie looked nervous. He was definitely tight and, and misfiring, but I just expected him to work his way back into the match. You know, he'd lost the opening set to Andrei Rublev. Um, incredible win, that one. We'll talk about it in a moment. But he'd lost the opening set in that one the day before and I just thought oh you know no big deal for Cameron Norrie being the competitor that he is to to have a slow start uh, but it turned out to be quite a big deal because Casper Ruud just did not give him a chance to get into that match love and two in a final against someone as hardened uh, as Cam Norrie and as I say just the competitor that he is I thought that was pretty incredible actually, from Casper Reed. I was not expecting to, to wake up, check the final score and see that, David. Mm, no, me either. And I'd quite like to see them play again in Indian Wells in about the third round or something to see whether the final element of that was partially responsible for, for Norrie sort of failing to, to give his best. I mean, it, there was a stat halfway through that this is a guy who'd been getting... 70% of his first serves in and, and, and having more success on that first serve than anybody all week. And yet here he was halfway through the match and he'd won 14% of his first serve points uh, in the first set. I mean, he just couldn't get it going at all. And and I was trying to work out, is this a styles issue that he is having a guy do to him what he does to everybody else, which is just be everywhere, keep getting the ball back, keep pushing, but without misfiring never hitting unforced errors and eventually the opponent breaks down and that's what Rude was doing to him and he's just he was just way better at it but I think that was 
joined by just a bad day for for Norrie. And I, and I don't know whether whether it was nerves or or just lack of rhythm on the day, but he wasn't he wasn't there really. And yet Rude is the total opposite in the finals. He he seems to be one of those players who just gets better in the final, and that's that is the ultimate quality, really, isn't it? That that probably starts to separate you from the pack, um, and and gives him a chance of going really further in his career. I think. Yeah, where do we situate Casper Rude now? That feels like a sort of conversation we need to have. I'm not ready for it. I don't know the answer. <laughs> Because it struck me at Lever Cup that he was introduced as part of a Team Europe squad that were all in the top 10. And that had slightly passed me by that Rude had entered the top 10, I think, just off the back of the US Open. I think he got in that week. He did it quite quietly. Um, He's now won five titles this season, which is the most of anyone on the ATP Tour, all of them at 250 level. And I just think, you know, do we put him up with his Labour Cup teammates in, in Europe and, and uh, you know, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, Berrettini. It, it seems to me that he could be on a similar level to Rublev now, um, someone who is turning up week in, week out and winning 250 events, um, is making progress at the Masters 1000 events, but there's still that sort of leap that he can take. Um, it, it strikes me that he's perhaps on a little bit of a Dominic team trajectory, of five or six years ago, who I think all of his first titles were on clay and suddenly had a breakthrough on a hard court. And he built a lot of endurance on the tour and he became very good at winning a lot of matches. And gradually he won more and more big matches. I think Rude perhaps doesn't have the same explosive power off both wings, doesn't quite have the same speed and physicality that team has, but... He's got a lot of weapons himself and obviously clay is is his favourite surface, but he's building on a hard court. I think, you know, he's he's really improving, isn't he, Kasper Rude? And I think Patrick McEnroe said this week he thinks he's gonna win Roland Garros by twenty twenty four, which I've not got Alcaraz down for that. I I was gonna say David's got Alcaraz winning like two before then, I think. And yet, David, it it says uh, in our agenda here. Uh, in classic, extremely vague David Law prediction terms, mm-hmm. David says Rude is, quote, going places. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you might in, say David, Wells next. given that he's <laughs> he's he's in the top 10, he's almost certainly, I think, going to qualify for Turin. He, he's already in those places. Yeah, so but wh- he's going where's other he, places. Where's he, go- where's he going? <laughs> um, well... First of all, I would agree with Matt's assessment that there is a Dominic team feel to his trajectory. And uh, there's a there's a very nice little piece on the ATP YouTube page, um, sort of interviewing him, talking about how he looks at Nadal and team as his kind of guides, really, what they did and the way they transferred their clay court game onto hard court and in Nadal's case, grass courts as well. He's looking at that and he's he's seeing potential as a result. He's not comparing himself like for like because of all they've achieved. And he's he's one of those guys, he, he has this way of quietly believing in himself, but without making any grand predictions for himself or trying to say he's somewhere that he's not. He's a, he's a realist. But he's also, I think, 
I don't think he's suffering imposter syndrome. I think he's aware of it. I think he's I think he thought he would suffer from that because he grew up watching Nadal on TV. He grew up watching these players and wanting to join them. And he thought that when he got inside the top 100 and then higher and higher and higher, he thought that he would struggle with that. And so far, he hasn't. Um, in terms of his game and the comparisons to team, that's absolutely right about the, the difference in explosiveness. He, he, but that also is a bonus to him in that he doesn't miss the way that team can miss. He This guy isn't going to lose 6-2-6-1 to somebody you really shouldn't be losing to, which team does or, or certainly has done, You know, even just prior to that US Open that he won. He's a, he's a calmer presence. He's a he's a more methodical tennis player. I think physically they're quite similar. I actually think he probably isn't far off as fast across the court as as team. I think he's lightning quick, rude. Um but he's a, he's he's happier he's happy to grind. But he's also something that I I don't know whether whether he uses this on clay, but certainly he did in this final against Cam Norris. He uses a slice backhand. Almost, it felt in the rallies, maybe 30, 30% of the time on the backhand side, he would throw in a, a slice and he knifes it. It is a really easily struck shot. It's not one of those shoveled backhand slices that players who think, oh, I really need to introduce a slice into my game hit. It seems very natural to him. And there's a flow and a rhythm to his tennis. Um, in terms of where he stands, I would I agree he's shoulder to shoulder with Rublev. Berrettini is a little bit further ahead because obviously he's he's reached the Grand Slam final. And then the other group of Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, they're, they're somewhere ahead, mm. I think, still. But he is coming. And no, I, I, I think... I, I, don't know. I don't want coming. I want to know where he's going. Well, I... Specifically, where is he going? I think... I agree with Patrick McEnroe in that he will reach a Roland Garros final in the next he said win. three years. I don't know whether he'll win. I think he'll reach a final in the next three years. And I think on a hard court, I th- <laughs> may well. Do you know what? He, he may well. I, I think one of the interesting things I'm watching out for, and we'll discuss it when we come on to Yannick Sinner as well, is where these two sit, Rude and Sinner, in relation to someone like Zverev, who, I mean, Zverev hammered Rude on hard courts just before the US Open, and he, and he beat sinner handily at the US Open as well. And I, I think that at the moment he just was very handles himself as if he these people have, don't have any place on the court with me if I'm playing well. Well I reckon that Rude and Sinner looks at them and they're just building blocks all the time. Winning San Diego, winning Sofia, now go on to the next one, keep improving. And they're they're gonna get there. I is, think so. Is Rude's ceiling higher than Rublev's? I was going to say, I think yes. I think, I, I think, I think yes, yes as well. I, I still, I, I'm not seeing anything from Rublev to shake my belief that there is a ceiling. Unless he changes his game somehow, there is a ceiling. Hmm. Um, you know, but his his A game is really, really good. But it can it can be picked apart. Cam Norrie picked it apart over the course of three sets. Um, yeah, what was that like? Because I didn't see that match. Oh, Cam Norrie was so good. So, so good. And Rublev had a slight air of, how am I losing to this guy? And I'm not even... How am I playing well and losing to this guy? Um, and it did look a bit... You know, you look at their stroke production and, you know, 
part of your brain says, yeah, how is he losing to this guy? It doesn't seem <laughs> quite right. But God, Cam Norrie is just badass now. He's just, you know, okay, taking aside that that final, um, he's just he's just a machine. I find it so impressive. There is what I love about his game is just there's absolutely no vanity to it whatsoever. You know, every single shot that he hits is chosen with the... It's all about the ends, not the means, isn't it? And he hits some lovely shots. It's not like he doesn't hit winners and lovely shots and so on, but it's all... There's just no vanity. And, you know, (laughs) I don't want to single out players who do play with a touch of vanity. Um, You know, there's some pretty obvious ones. And look, we're part... can't we? Well, I'm guessing well, you mean Sha- the guy Nuri beat in the quarterfinals. Well, Shapovalov, I think it was it three, and, three and one against Shapovalov. And I just don't, you know, Shapovalov should look at that result. I really hope he sits down and looks at that result. And look, I am I am partially responsible for, you know, the, the vanity. Because I, yes. I, I sit here and I revel and spend five minutes on a podcast describing a feet off the ground single-handed into out backhand you know I I love it and I egg on the vanity I know that but then I also look at Cam Norrie and what he's doing and you know that is that has its own splendor I think Hmm. Um, but I yeah I do I, I really hope Shapovalov can learn quite a lot from that defeat I don't know whether he will um, but I feel like there there is a, a lot of learning there if he if he wants to take it. I think what I enjoy seeing in a player is when they show you something different, or they or they prove that they're something more than what you think they are. And I think for a few years now, Shapovalov has been the same player. We've known what Shapovalov is. He's an exceptional shot maker. He will have great peaks, you know. He 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 reached the Wimbledon semi-finals not that long ago. He he has had some great peaks this season, but there's no real sense of it all coming together week in week out. And I think at the start of the year with Norrie, we'd have all thought, yes, he's a maximizer. He's a pest to play against. He's going to have a good career, and he'll probably max out around about forty in the world. And he's just shown us something different this year not by necessarily doing anything different but just proving that he's better than that and I have so much respect for that you know I think he's now top 15 in the race above Shap- just moved above Shapovalov in the race right exactly he got to a semi-final of Wimbledon yeah yeah you know, that shows shows doesn't it one bloke produced it for a couple of weeks and the other guys produced it mm. all year yeah so yeah just immense respect for what Nari is doing and I think that Rublev win was probably Probably the best, actually, of his career, I think. And I know he beat Team earlier this year when Team was ranked four and Rublev was ranked five here, but Team wasn't himself this year in that match in particular. And Norrie just sort of took advantage of that. But as you said, Rublev played pretty well in this match and Norrie just made him look a bit lost tactically and a bit Im- mm. inflexible. And mm. you mentioned Norrie's serve, letting him down in the final. It was incredible in that semi-final. The, the the number of free points he was getting on it, the security he had on it, it looked like so much more than just a point starter, which I've sometimes thought maybe his serve is. It was, it was a real weapon for him. And yeah, just props to Cameron Nari. Great, great 
season. It did make me pontificate a little um, that sort of that thought train that I had boarded about whether players with single-handed backhands are more prone to vanity in their game because of how single-handed backhands are perceived and thought of and gloried over in the sport. Yeah, Yeah. especially people maybe who don't play it professionally i think we are though we are particularly yes it, guilty it, of that and I think. it looks an indulgent shot doesn't it yeah it looks I, and, indulgent and it, and extravagant it takes me on to two thoughts that occurred to me while you were both talking one is that would you believe i actually have the gall to have some vanity about the way i play tennis in as much as um I mean, I'm I'm really not very good at tennis, but but I would sacrifice a couple of uh, like a, a a straightforward win where it's boring for hitting an amazing couple of shots that make me remember them for weeks. Me too. Um, me too. And uh, and I know that if I've if I build a pattern of winning a couple of points in a row, I want to win the next one a different way because I'm bored of that way, um, and I'm not good enough to do that in any way shape or form the other thing that occurs to me is about three years ago i and charlie eccleshare for the podcast interviewed leighton hewitt and this was probably about four years ago and it was a it was around about when shapovalov was first having his big arrival moment and and doing well in in canada and then he came to queens and everybody was gaga over the, the shot making and everything and he got the back-to-front cap and the blonde hair. And I said to Leighton Hewitt, he reminds me a bit of you. And I meant the way he looks and the look on Leighton Hewitt's face when <laughs> I said that. The disgust. Now, he, because if you think about it, I mean, Leighton Hewitt is the ultimate maximizer, the the mongrel of all tennis players who will just doesn't care how it looks, just wants to win. And he he just goes... Yeah, pretty flashy. Wow. That was his assessment. Terrible accent, by the way. But I had a go. Um, but ter- v- pr- pretty flashy. Uh, yeah, he said. Um, wow, that's kind of so, nod- so damning somehow, isn't it? I mean, like, he obviously rated him as a tennis ball striker. But at the same tournament, I think Alex Dimonor was just coming through the qualifying and winning. It was in Surbiton. He came through, came through qualifying, won the thing. And... Uh, very big difference in terms of approaches and you could tell obviously now look Hewitt's got his foot in the the Dimonor camp as a as a friend and a Davis Cup captain as he was back then but yeah there's a big difference in what he rates in a tennis player Mm. whereas it's taken us longer to detach ourselves from the flashiness and the occasional Wimbledon semi-final does make you just drags you back in yes (laughs) I only, yes. I only need one break of surf for Grigor Dimitrov, and I think that that's a thing again. <laughs> he had a good week. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Norrie's up to 26 in the world. I think he's he's got a real battle on with Dan Evans, who he, who he beat, incidentally, en route to the San Diego final for that, for that British number one spot. Um, so Indian Wells could be interesting from that perspective. Andy Murray, speaking of Brits, he beat Dennis Kudler. In the opening round, he was supposed to play Kenny Shikori, wasn't he? 
Um, but Nishikori withdrew ahead of the tournament, so Kudla took a lucky loser spot. Uh, Murray lost to eventual champion Casper Ruud. Um, what do we what do we take from that? Sort of with the benefit, of the hindsight of Ruud winning the tournament. Well, it's two weeks in a row, isn't it, that Murray's lost to the eventual mm. champion? Her catch the week before, and and Ruud this week. I I don't know if Murray takes any comfort from that. I find it difficult to get in Murray's headspace and sort of general attitude to tennis because it's just quite singular, I think, isn't it? Um, but I think he should. I think he pushed her catch as hard as anyone did the week before and Rudy, he pushed harder than a lot of players. I, I think his tennis is improving, but he needs a break in a draw because this has got to be pretty... Pretty tough to take these these constant easy win in the first round, losing mm. uh, losing a tight match in the second round. That that's a rhythm I think he needs to and wants to get out of. And I think the I think the draw at this stage is is what's going to help him. Mm. Yeah, Inumel's uh, draws scheduled to take place today and tomorrow as we come to you on uh, on Monday. So that's going to be very interesting indeed. He's got a wild card into Indian Wells, incidentally, Andy Murray, as has Emma Raducanu. Um, so she she'll be playing there. We uh, I think we weren't quite. Sh- she hadn't confirmed, had she, at the time uh, of our last recording. So not quite breaking news, but sort of out of date news. You're welcome. Um, Neil Skubsky and Joe Salisbury won the doubles title in San Diego, which means that both Skubsky brothers uh, won doubles titles over the weekend with different partners. Ken won with Johnny O'Mara. In Sofia, why don't they just play together? Would that be ranking? Do you think? I, I haven't actually checked their respective. Possibly. Rankings. I mean, they did play together for a while, didn't they? Oh yeah. Uh, maybe I mean, it they, just they, they came up playing together. I think. Maybe but, it I mean, just also doesn't, doesn't quite work. Apparently, Neil and Joe seem to be well. They seem to be a very good doubles partnership. Um, but I, d- I did think that anybody who was playing Sophia, I'm sure it's a lovely tournament, but they couldn't have helped having a glance at the old YouTube highlights of San Diego and seen the beautiful blue sky and the full crowds. And I'd thought, have been that, furious. That looks lovely. <laughs> furious. And interesting that Guillermo Fies played Sophia. Do you think he got muddled up <laughs> <laughs> when he put his entry in? Um, I mean, look, it, you know, worked out well for him, didn't he? He reached the final, lost out to Yannick Sinner, three and four in the final. But Monfils must have been looking at San Diego thinking, get me some of that, please. Because Sophia, indoor and crowdless, uh, David said before this recording, it had a slightly Cologne one and two vibe about it, which <laughs> yes. made me shudder. I mean, bless Cologne for, for doing what they did and staging those tournaments in a pandemic, but we, we don't ever want to go back, do we? Well, certainly not to those circumstances and conditions. And I mean, anybody who's sort of attended and worked, we've worked those events. I worked them for years on the ATP side. And again, so many good tournaments at this time of year in Europe indoors. But they are hard going. They the the artificial light. It's cold, often cold in those arenas, and I often used to think back to the daytime matches where people were not able to get out of school or not able to come out of work, and so there weren't many people in. Well, when they're literally empty, that is as we now have that, or as we have had for the last year and a half. That's that's 
the worst of the worst, really. You want the tournament to take place, but the conditions. And then, like we said, San Diego was as good as it gets in terms of the visual on TV. It couldn't have looked better. No, it looked it looked blooming lovely. <laughs> um, we yeah. got that across. Andy Murray's been a sightseeing, so we'll get his uh, his tips if we ever go back. Yeah, sightseeing with a handlebar moustache, though. I'd, I'd have a go at growing one and if I could go there, I'll mm. tell you. Mm. Yeah, to fail, but. head over to Andy Murray's Instagram if you want a shock. Um, did we, speaking of sort of players showing you new things, Matt, did we learn anything new about Yannick Sinner uh, this week on his title run in Sofia? Or is this just, the you know, Yannick Sinner winning ATP 250s um, in pretty convincing fashion? This is a thing that we already knew about about Yannick Sinner. Yeah, I think the latter. I don't think we necessarily learn a great deal. It's the first time he's defended a title. It might even be one of the first opportunities he's had to do that. Uh, I think it probably is. Um, so that's that's quite impressive, I think, going back to the same place and winning. Um, I, I find Sinner interesting because we know from what Piatti said that he's on that they're really looking long term you know they're looking at 200 matches on the ATP tour and that's when Sinner will be able to sort of first be at his best and will will have a much greater sense of the player that he is at that point so while he builds up to that I don't get the feeling that he's in this sort of rush and that he's really trying desperately to make progress very quickly and yet he does keep making strides and keep achieving these milestones you know he's won titles um he's won four and he's not even 21 yet and of of current players I think only Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, Zverev and Del Potro had won more before the age of 21 and Sinner doesn't turn 21 till August next year he, he could well win way more um, he's reached the Grand Slam quarter final. He's reached the Masters 1000 final. So he's had these really great results. And yet it doesn't really feel like that he's sort of going out of his way to aim for them. He's just sort of taking everything in his stride as it comes. So I, I quite like that that vibe he's got going. I think the one thing he probably hasn't really had yet is a really, really big win. A bit like Felix auger Aliassime in that yeah, way. Yeah, it's quite similar, isn't it? I think Orgelia seems got the problem of not having won the titles and he's building that baggage in these big matches. Whereas Sinner, okay, other than the Miami final where he didn't play very well, he's he's picking up titles. He's he's playing well in, in the big matches, which I think is is really positive for him. Um he was he was way better than Monfils in the final. It just as we've discussed, not the conditions that Monfils is going to thrive in in an em- empty stadium and I, I thought he actually looked really lethargic and he'd had a really easy route through to the final. So I can only imagine it was just the occasion and just not being able to get up for it under those circumstances. But Sinner was the one playing with way more purpose in his shots. Uh, he won the title without dropping a set. Um, I still think there's areas he can improve. I think his serve needs to improve a lot, especially the second serve. But yeah, it's it's really good signs for Yannick Sinner, I think. I think a big win would feel like it might sort of catapult him, but I'm not sure he's worried about that, as I've said. It, mm. it's, it's not the approach he's taking. Uh, just uh, incidentally on Morfis, that was uh, the 17th, this is the 17th consecutive season 
in which he has reached an ATP Tour level final, which is, I mean, it deserves to be the longest active streak, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, that deserves to be a record. Uh, but unfortunately, Nadal <laughs> exists in the world. Uh, so Nadal. That, that makes it the second longest active streak, but still just an extraordinary record to be proud of. You know, that puts him puts him ahead of Djokovic, puts him ahead of Federer. That's significant. Um, and and- a, there, was a, there was a note made in the commentary, actually, of, of that final. Jonathan Overham was commentating. I remember back in his BBC Five Live days, he would have commentated on Monfils more than 10 years ago in a Roland Garros semi-final. And he said, you know, how has this guy been the one that has got a streak like that? If somebody had said to any of us back in the early 2000s or mid-2000s when he came along that Gael Monfils will still be around in 12 years' time or whatever it is playing tennis, we would not have believed it. And I definitely think that that's the case for me. I, I, I am very pleasantly surprised. And I'm also... I think he's he's at peace with who he is as a tennis player. Totally. Mm. Totally. And I think that's helped us all reach peace with who he is Yes, agreed. as a tennis player. I feel like I've... Since that... US Open semi-final he played against Djokovic one of the weirdest matches I've ever seen I have I have reached a piece with with Gael Monfils mm. um, and I, I wish I'd done it sooner because I felt like I you know taking away the frustration taking out the, out the frustration of, of watching his matches would would have assisted me in enjoying it but I'm I'm pleased I've reached this destination and I'm just able to enjoy him and as Yannick Sinner uh, said in his uh, speech after the match, tennis needs you. Um, and yeah, it, it, he, he enriches tennis, absolutely. And let's enjoy him while he's still around. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Uh, Heading back to U.S. shores, uh, Chicago 
Who's been to Chicago? Hands up, please. No one. Great. Should definitely have checked that before we started recording. I <laughs> My thought, dad's been. I I've thought got, David I, might have had a, a sneaky trip to Chicago at some point. I'd love to go. Uh, my, mm. my, my dad brought me back a Chicago Bears pennant when I was about eight, and I had it on my wall for many a year. Oh, oh. love that. Back when, when William the Refrigerator Perry was ripping it up for the Bears in the mid-80s. Right. <laughs> Those are the days, eh, Matt? <laughs> um, uh, right then. Okay, well, I would love to go to Chicago. Um, I'd be I'd be perfectly happy if this were another one of the sort of pandemic um, a calendar adjustments that, that ended up staying. Um, whether it would stay in this spot, I don't... I, I, Timeline-wise, I don't know, but um, I very much enjoyed Chicago this week. It seemed like the players were enjoying Chicago. Um, it seemed like the weather was really nice in Chicago for end of September. Not That's not the climate that I thought they had over there, but looked well, lovely. America's lost a lot of tournaments the last few years, mm. and so this these two are welcome additions, and I, I, I agree. I really hope that there's a way to just whatever it is, reconfigure the calendar a bit mm. in order to make this stuff happen more. I mm. think it's it's really good for the game. They could consider it like Cleveland. Cleveland went with tennis in the, la- in the land. If they were looking for a, a brand, they could go with sort of tennis on the go. See Chicago. What you did there. Tennis in the land, tennis on the go. San Diego. Well, that's just made it confusing, David. <laughs> Yes, tennis. Okay, I'll. It needs some refinement. Oh, maybe they could form like a sort of mini series. Oh my gosh, they could form like a mini post U.S. Open series called Tennis on the Go. Right, we'll finesse and come back to you with a full proposal. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's everyone's on the edge of their seats. Right, Garbina Muguruza won the title in in the go on the go. Mm. Um, <laughs> three six six three six love in the final over Ons Jabeur. I think that is the seventh career title for Garbina Muguruza. All no five of those have been on hard courts. This is the fifth hard court title. The only two of those titles that haven't been on hard courts were her two Grand Slam titles, that were of course on on clay. And on grass, I got that stat uh, from Ben Rothenberg on Twitter. It's been uh, it's been peddled around quite widely. It's a Garbini Muguruza's is becoming a a career that's quite hard to make sense of and and certainly predict, isn't it? I mean, I enjoy it. I very much enjoy her tennis. I enjoy watching her play happy tennis and just look like she's enjoying it so much. I really do love that because um, she definitely wasn't for a while there. But I don't. Yeah, she's she's a she's a funny egg to crack, I think. Do, do you know, I, I would personally, and I say this from the outside because I, I don't know Garbini Magarutha aside from having interviewed her a couple of times, but just from the outside, I would categorise her stages of career as you've just described them, which is when she played happy and then when she played and she wasn't or she didn't seem to be, and now she is again. And those are the best of her those are when she won her Grand Slam titles, it seemed to me at least. And then she had a couple of years that were very tough to watch. And 
now she seems happy again and it seems to be going well i mean i've always thought she could have done even more than she has but then she may yet i think the difference now with her is that she's got a week in week out intensity and energy which she's just brought the whole year i've really enjoyed watching muguruza this whole season i think she got injured in charleston and and the summer was a bit of a struggle for her results wise but the rest of the time she's been fantastic i mean really i think we can perhaps forget just how good she was at the start of the season you know she came very close to beating osaka at the australian open she won in dubai she got to the final of the tournament before the Australian Open as well and lost to Ash Barty, I think. So she's really brought it this whole season, which she's never really done. Even in the past, when she won her Grand Slam, she she, she peaked for those big events. And I think in 2017, she also won Cincinnati as well as Wimbledon. This is only the second time she's won multiple titles in a season. Um, so, so I think there has been a shift in that sort of consistency. And I've, I've just loved her energy. As you said, it is a happy energy. And, and she needed that in the final because she was getting outplayed by Ons Jabeur, who was sort of energizing herself with her own brilliant shot making. You know, she was sort of enjoying it like everyone else. You know, I think she finished the first set with an incredible drop shot. And she hit an incredible forehand passing shot and gave it a big fist pump. And there, were quite, there was quite a big crowd and there was some of these sort of Tunisian football chants going. It was a great, great atmosphere. And yet, despite all of that, Muguruza stayed so locked in in the match and so determined and just turned it around quite, quite quickly. A set and a breakdown. And then suddenly, Jabir barely won another game in the match, I think. Her forehand really sort of fell off and became quite wayward and Muguruza just became more and more solid. And, and by the end, she was really feeling it and the match turned. It was Muguruza coming up with all the brilliant shots by the end. And and yeah, she's she has had a quite a difficult career to make sense of. But I really like the place she's in now, which is just bringing it every week, Muguruza. The doubles title in Chicago was won by Kveta Peshka and Andrea Petkovic. Peshka is 46 years old and this was her 36th career doubles title. And for Petkovic, it was her first career doubles title. I love all of that. Every single <laughs> word that I just said, I love it. It's marvellous, isn't it? Yeah, I read that little report that the WTA send out to us in the media this morning and just I had to read that three times to <laughs> believe that I'd got it right. Okay, well, how about this from Astana, which I'm still confused. I know this is deja vu because I'm sure we discussed this last year and it's just dropped out of my head. Is Astana a place or is Nur Sultan the place or is Astana a region of Nur Sultan or vice versa. What's going on there? Okay, I believe it used to be called Astana, and it's yes. been renamed Nur Sultan after In... a former president or something. Right. But they right. still call the tournament familiar. the Astana Open. Right. But on the court, it has written Nur Sultan. Yes. So I think you can be confusing. forgiven for being confused. Yeah. And when Catherine said the word Astana, I just have this vision of three exclamation marks should be <laughs> following it. 
and Astana. <laughs> yes, they well, they've missed a trick there, frankly. I mean, all tournaments other than Estrava are missing a trick. Um, Alison van Oytvank won the title in Astana, her fifth WGA title. She's never lost a final. Alison van Oytvank with the stats that you never knew you needed in your life, but you did. Never knew existed, I must yeah. say. Uh, she she beat uh, Yulia Putinseva, who was the top seed, home player, strong favourite for the title, both going into the final and pre-tournament. One six six four six three in the final. I mean, that's all just really, really impressive from from Alison Van Oytvank. Yeah, and probably the best final in terms of the match of the week, actually, um, in terms of drama sustained right until the end I think Muguruza Jabir for two sets was fantastic and it had this extra element of the WTA race being in play with both players really sort of jostling for position in that race it was an interesting match from that perspective as well but Astana Putin Saver was brilliant to start the match 6-1 first set got it all going on but then Van Oytvank you know when she puts it together she is so capable we've seen flashes of it haven't we that all-court attacking tennis I remember when she took out Muguruza at, at Wimbledon a few years ago and she reached a Roland Garros quarterfinal didn't she she's she's mm. really capable and it all came together for her in those last couple of sets lovely touches at the net coming forward and yeah it was lots of long deuce games and momentum shifting back and forth it was a really really good match and um at Another nice line is that uh, Greek Menin, um, Van Oytvank's fiance, was in the crowd. And this was the first week, I think, since they've been together, but certainly in a long time, that Menin was ranked above Van Oytvank. Hmm. And Van Oytvank, by winning this title, has now gone back above Menin. So that only lasted a week. <laughs> an, an inter-marriage or soon-to-be-marriage rivalry. Uh, love that. <laughs> Love that journey for them. Uh, Annalena Friedsam and Monica Nicolescu won the doubles title in Astana. That's their first doubles title together. Uh, I, I, I just think of David when I think of Monica Nicolescu. What, the title winning element? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Um, so that is the tennis that happened last week. Obviously, the tennis that's happening this week, kicking off on Wednesday, is coming from Indian Wells, which looks... Look, it looks just glorious. It almost looks, it's painful for me to look at. I'm having to do some unfollowing on Instagram um, (laughs) because it's so, so gratuitously wonderful. But I understand it is outrageously hot, sort of 37, 38 degrees um, with no wind um, and no no respite from the heat, and it's it's set to stay that way throughout the tournament. I mean, that is big deal heat. Um, obviously, it's a desert, so it's dry heat rather than than humidity. For for some players, that's that's kind of better than than humid kind of heat. But still, it is going to be a factor. Um, and I know that if I were were in that heat, I would be struggling. So I'm I, keep, I just keep trying to remind myself of of that. Although. Having just checked the very latest weather forecast uh, for oh, Palm have Springs, have I just done soon to be out of date weather news? Well, no, because I think Indian Wells itself is this week. It's thirty four, thirty seven today, and it's thirty four tomorrow, and then it's going to get by the weekend. It's going to get sort of twenty seven oh. around thirty. But in Palm Springs down the road, it's going to rain on Thursday at twenty four. 
So, you know, maybe it's going to cool down a bit. But, oh. yeah, it's that's surprisingly low temperatures for that part of the world mm. if, if it ends up there. there so. 27 is lovely, isn't it? <laughs> That'd do, wouldn't it? <sighs> maybe we'll just go for that bit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... Uh, as I said, Emma Adekanu's taken uh, a wild card. She's over there. She looks like she's having as brilliant a time as she's had anywhere in the past few weeks where she just seems to just slip effortlessly into, you know, whatever role, whatever moment she's having. She went to the James Bond premiere at the Royal Albert Hall just before jetting off to Indian Wells. She's just living her, her best life and looking certainly looking really comfortable doing it and happy doing it, which is just so great to see. She's, uh, she's incidentally, she's being assisted by Jeremy Bates in Indian Wells. Um, it's not a sort of formal, he's my new coach. Um, and this, this chimes with my understanding of how Emma Raducanu works. I'm not saying this won't change in the near future and she won't appoint sort of a full-time high-profile headline coach, but, you know, she 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 leans on different people for for different periods and she brings people in and out of the fold you know jeremy bates was was involved with her at wimbledon when her you know her headline coach at the time was nigel sears but but jeremy bates was very much there um and helping her out as well so it's kind of you know join forces with with different people at different times so he's certainly a very firm um, experienced guiding hand, isn't he, Jeremy Bates? So uh, I, I feel like that can only be a good thing. Um, just just quickly while we're, we're on Emma Adekanu, um I guess it's not not news for us to tell you she she remains a huge deal in the UK and the interest in her remains feverish. But it is just confirmed and hammered home by the British media interest in Indian Wells, which bear in mind for a UK audience, it is is no good really. And unless she's she's first on every day, it, we're looking at tennis matches happening at, at really inconvenient times for a British audience, basically in the middle of the night. But the British interest in that tournament, because Emma Raducanu was there, is feverish, David. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know my colleague Russell Fuller at BBC Radio is flying out today, and uh, so is Simon Briggs and several others. I think there are six of them from the main correspondents of the newspapers and Radio 5 Live going out there, um, which, as you say, I mean, that does not normally happen in spring, for instance. You may get one or two that go, but it's a long way to go. It's not the greatest time of the year, really, with a lot of other sports going on in the springtime. And if she were not playing, none of them would go. None of them. So this is this is a, an indicator. And it will be very interesting, won't it, to see her first appearance as a tennis player on the court since winning the US Open. What, I mean, look. If she loses in the first match, that's there's no drama. That's that 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 happens. That it's gonna she's going to be playing players so vastly more experienced than her. But it will be just fascinating to see how she handles the the conditions out there and the court speed. Andy Murray always used to find it a bit of a weird combo, didn't he, with the thin air and the the and and the slow high bouncing courts. You know, it's 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 going to be fascinating, really. Mm. Uh, there are no world number ones in Indian Wells. Both Ash Barty and Novak Djokovic have said that uh, that they won't be playing. No, no big surprise on either part there. World number two, though, Arena Sabalenka on the women's side should have been 
the, therefore the top seed. But uh, she's tested positive for COVID-19 upon arrival in Indian Wells. She's isolating there. Um, she she did an Instagram post. She is symptomatic, it would seem. Um, she seems okay at this at this moment. We wish her well. Uh, she is one of those players um, that has stated publicly that she's not va- vaccinated and has had scepticism about the vaccine. Um, in Indian Wells, fans have to show digital proof of vaccination to get in, and they're so strict about that 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 children. Uh, under 12s um, won't be allowed on site because they they won't have been vaccinated. So nothing's changed. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't see why players are the only exception uh, to to the vaccination rules. If you have, if you, if you as an event are choosing to have vaccination rules, I don't see why the players uh, should be exempt from that. But it, you know, this situation is... <laughs> It's not going away. It, it, if anything, it gets more and more knotty and more and more interesting. We've had an, an update from Australia this week via the Age newspaper that is confirmed. It's looking very likely, probable, that a vaccine mandate will be required for tennis stars, so the players, to play in Melbourne this summer. The government's move came after Tennis Australia boss Craig Tiley spent months raising concerns about a mandate because of its potential turn its potential to turn away a group of players who resist vaccination. Uh, Mr. Tiley, the age reports, has since become resigned to it and is cooperating with the government, according to four government and sports sources, speaking anonymously to detail confidential negotiations. Uh, the Premier of Victoria, the state of Victoria, Daniel Andrews, said that Djokovic's titles won't protect him from COVID and that the chance of Getting into the country without vac- be, without being vaccinated is very low. We did have the news this week that uh, Australia is planning to open its borders from November. That is initially just for uh, uh, citizens and permanent residents, but that's expected to change in the months after that, but only for the vaccinated. Um, so, goodness me, it's going to be interesting. Djokovic would be playing for a 10th title and a uh, 10th Australian Open title and a 21st Grand Slam title. So for there to be a vaccine mandate for a player in that position who is publicly vaccine skeptic, good I mean you you couldn't you couldn't script it. You really couldn't script it. I, I, there's no point in us trying to predict how that one will play out, but um several eyes emojis, I would say on that situation. So I think that's before I say anything else, that's going to go dreadfully out of date by the time that this thing gets uh, edited and uploaded. I think that's, that's your lot for tennis news for the week. Unless anyone wants to make some wild Indian Wells predictions, speak now or forever hold your peace. I'll chuck one your way on Thursday, Catherine. Okay. Okay. Yes. We're going to be bi-weekly, uh, during Indian Wells, because it's going to be blooming interesting, I think. Um, yeah, I'm going to try and push past my FOMO <laughs> and bring you bi-weekly podcasts. Um, so no no predictions here, but possibly some to come on Thursday after the draws have been made. And we'll be together on Thursday. We will be together on Thursday. In fact, we'll be together tomorrow. Hooray. We just won't be podcasting. Uh, David and Matt are going to play golf. We're having a little... We're having a little Tennis Podcast Towers Retreat, aren't we? 
We are. Sure are. It's just a yeah. big excuse for David and Matt to reunite with Billie Jean. That's right. <laughs> sure is. I mean, I, I probably could have kept that quiet, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> she is excited as you, uh, is as excited as you both are. I promise you that. Um Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King, incidentally, in words that I love to say every week. Our mascot for this week is the just wonderfully lovely Luna, who is owned by friend of the show, Richard. Now, looking at this picture of Luna, I thought she was a puppy um, because she's just doing those puppy eyes that I'm so, so familiar with. Uh, But Luna is actually a 10-year-old black lab, but she's... Oh, she's so... She's looking at me. She's looking at me in this picture and I I feel it in, <laughs> I lovely. feel it in my soul. She's absolutely gorgeous and uh, Richard is a lovely chap and friend of the show. So hello Richard and thank you to lovely Luna who'll also be our mascot on Thursday. Uh, and subscribe to our newsletter if you want to see this gorgeous picture and have Luna's eyes bore into your soul as well. I highly recommend it. Um, Zeus, Scousel, Mousel and Rogue are our mascots. We'll be having to make predictions on their behalf again this week, dreading it. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer and he's back in the bosom, I think, of being a top bloke. I'm I'm over it. I'm rising <laughs> just above. Like, just, the, just the three weeks it's taken. Just the three weeks. Chris you've served your time um we don't have shout outs this week they'll be back soon we like to keep you on your toes um so if you're still waiting for your shout out you just got to keep tuning into this dross (laughs) (laughs) or maybe you can just fast forward through to the end hopefully uh yeah we'll be back with another tennis podcast on Thursday do subscribe to the newsletter it is great stuff and we'll speak to you soon 